Welcome to Grace Church of Philly. It is always a delight to gather with God's people and worship. There's just something about uh, being here, hearing other voices, sharing the same space, uh, worshiping the same Lord. And uh, in these moments, if we could capture them and carry it with us through the week where we are consumed with who God is and what he's done, uh, what an impact it would make in our lives if we could worship all week long. So hopefully some of what happens this morning will stay with you during the week. We welcome those that are watching from different places in the world, uh, those who are part of Grace Church right here in Philly. We welcome you this morning and we uh, welcome especially our friends in Cameroon and pray that God will speak to all of us today. I'm in the book of Hebrews again, Hebrews chapter 2. For a few weeks, we are looking at portraits of Christ in the epistle to the Hebrews. And for the last two weeks, we looked at Jesus as the final word. And we should never forget that God has finally and fully spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. And we are to listen to him because his words and only his words are words of life and salvation. To not listen to him, we were warned, means death and damnation. We must listen to Jesus Christ. In our text today, the author of Hebrews continues to argue that Jesus is superior to the angels. And that's one of the reasons we should listen to him. And the reason that he is superior, he will argue, is because God created humanity with the destiny that all humans would be superior to the angels. Of course, we know that we have failed in achieving the destiny and living out the destiny that God has for us. But Jesus, we will see, is the perfect man, or as I entitle my message this morning, Jesus the Glorious Man. This will be a message with just two points, and I will only deal with one of those points today. I will have a long introduction and a point and uh, spare myself and you trying to crowd uh, into the time we have the entire message. So this week and next week, I will be talking about Jesus, the glorious man. But listen to our text, Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 5 this morning. And I will read up to verse 10. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. If you notice while I was reading, our text mentions glory three times. In verse 7, it tells us that humanity was originally crowned with glory and honor. In verse 9, it tells us that Jesus is and remains crowned with glory and honor. And then in verse 10, we are told that through Jesus, the Father is bringing many sons into glory. The glory that we were crowned with has been marred, has been lost, has been distorted. Man is not so glorious as God intended. But as one author says, this creator, Father God, wills to have an adopted family consisting of redeemed members of the human race who will be able to fulfill the destiny which he had in mind for them. And that destiny that God had in mind for you and for me is to experience his glory and to reflect his glory. We were meant to be glorious. But we know that all of us have forfeited that destiny because of our sin. And our text will tell us that it is only because of our union with Jesus Christ, the glorious man, that God's destiny for humanity can ever be fulfilled. When we talk about glory, what do we mean? What is the glory of God? The glory of God is that which displays his inexhaustible perfections, all of the excellent, inexhaustible perfections of his being. You know what it is to spend time with someone that you think is beautiful. I don't mean just physically attractive, but beautiful. They're delightful. There's something about their smile. There's something about their eyes. There's something about their posture, something about their presence, their demeanor. And you delight in that presence. Well, God's presence is inexhaustible, excellent perfection. It's unimaginable. The delight, not only now, but for eternity we will have as we experience the glory of God. So the glory of God is that which displays his inexhaustible perfections. And that glory and honor, that glory, that, that reflection of his being was meant to crown humanity from the very beginning, that we were designed to experience the glory of God and to reflect the glory of God to others and to the world that we live in. We can only imagine what a world would be where humanity experienced and reflected 
the inexhaustible perfections of God's glory? What would a marriage look like if husbands and wives experienced and reflected together the glory of God? What would our world would look like? What would all human relationships What would politics look like if politics reflected the experience of this inexhaustible, excellent glory of God? But we know that that's not the story of humanity. Sin came into the world, and as the story of humanity unfolds, we flee from God. We run from his glory. We don't experience it. We don't reflect it. And the evidence of that is in the fracture of human relationships and the worship of creation rather than our stewardship of the world which God has made us rulers of. Instead of pursuing the experience of the glory of God, we pursue our own glory apart from God. When we look at ourselves, we can see we are not a people who are crowned with glory and honor. And every one of us are aware of our failure to experience God's glory, to reflect God's glory. We're aware of our failure to rule this world, let alone rule our lives as we ought to. The author quotes from Psalm 8 as Theodore read it this morning. What a wonderful psalm that reflects on the original dignity that God designed for for humanity, created in the image of God, crowned with glory and honor, given the privilege, the responsibility to have everything in God's creation subject to humanity, to be ruled with the glory and honor of God. And yet, again, we all know that something is wrong. We debate the problem. Who is to blame for the way the world and our lives are so messed up? You know, is it a Republican problem or a Democratic problem? Is it, is it because of capitalism or socialism? Is it, is it a problem of not enough money, poverty, or too much money, wealth? You know, is, it, is the blame on a failed educational system? Why do we not reflect the glory of God in this world? And if you look deep enough, you realize that none of those are the answer because whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, you're a capitalist or a socialist, or you're poor or wealthy, you are a sinner. You are flawed. You don't even do your socialism well. You don't do your capitalism well. You are a flawed human being. You have a problem that is called sin. And it doesn't matter how much we may try to achieve some kind of glory in this world, we all live with one stark, undeniable reality that something is wrong. It doesn't matter how many trophies you get, how many acclaims you get, how many write-ups you get that extol your greatness, 
there's one stark, undeniable reality that reminds us there's something wrong with this world. And that is, death eventually comes. All attempts at human glory come to an end. Death is an unavoidable evidence that reminds us that no human has ever and can ever fully achieve God's destiny, God's purpose for their life on their own. We die. We die from war. We die from murder. We die from suicide. We die from sickness. We die from old age. We die. And because we value life, we fear death, our text tells us. We don't want to die, and we do everything that is in our power to avoid coming to that place of death, which is the final declaration that says, you did not achieve the destiny that God had for you to be crowned with glory, to experience and reflect his glory. Death declares that we have ultimately failed to rule the world. Because whatever measure of success we may attain, we may have enjoyed, death will bring it to an end. Death declares that we've failed to live with glory. we failed to live with that honor that God bestowed on humanity. Death announces our defeat. You did not win. You did not achieve. And apart from Christ... When death stands over you in victory, you are not a triumphant king who ruled the world. You will be, as all humans, apart from Christ, a powerless, defeated failure. I have shared with you a couple of times my good friend Tony from years ago. Perhaps in my life he was one of the most powerful wealthy, influential, proud human beings that I ever knew, self-sufficient as any human could, could be. And yet, he died in weakness. And as I've shared before, when that stroke hit him and took away his human glory, took away part of his mind, took away all of his physical strength, his money, his achievements meant absolutely nothing. And thankfully, in his weakness and brokenness, when he came to the place where he realized that all of his glory was not enough, he could say to me, John, can you help me to get ready to meet Jesus? He finally to be stripped of his human glory. It took that to bring him to the place where he could say, I need Jesus. My human glory is not enough. We die. That's the stark, undeniable reality. Politicians die. Educators die. Preachers die. Poets die. Artists die. Musicians die. Good people die, bad people die. And if anything last year taught us is that death is unavoidable, 
it's unpredictable, and it's very real. Whatever human glory you are seeking or you may have achieved in life, it is a glory that you will lose at death. Death declares that every moment of human glory is a passing glory. Of course, we're reminded of this in many ways. We're reminded of it in our fading beauty, our diminishing strength, our depleted resources, our fading eyesight, our forgetful minds. There is so much about our lives that is telling us that death will come and whatever glory that we have sought in this world will pass away when death comes. And in the end, when death comes, we're told it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And God will judge you as to whether or not you were pursuing your glory or that you were seeking in Christ to know his glory and to experience his glory and to reflect his glory in the world. When you leave here this morning, I hope you will be thinking about this question. When death knocks on your door, and it will, is that the end of glory for you? When death knocks on your door, is that the end of glory for you? One of the old gospel songs we sing in our expectation of looking for Jesus Christ is that will be glory. That will be glory for me when by his grace I will look on his face. That will be glory. Every believer lives with the expectation that there is a glory that lasts. There is a glory that does not end with death. Then that glory is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God wants us to experience and reflect his glory, and he will not share that glory. If we give ourselves to the idolatrous pursuits of temporal glory, ultimately we will either lead to despair or we will have a false sense of security. But finally, If we are seeking the idolatrous pursuit of temporal glory, we will die and it will end. I'm reminded of that text in Acts chapter 12 when God's wrath came upon Herod. I read in verse 21 of Acts 12, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes He took his seat upon the throne and he delivered an oration to the crowd. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of man. The voice of a God and not of man. And Herod was just eating up the glory. And then it says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed 
his last. Aren't we thankful that God does not always act in the same way at all times? I mean, this auditorium would be full of bodies being eaten by worms. What an ugly scene that would be, but that's what we deserve because in some way we have all sought our own glory. And so by way of introduction today, that was the introduction. Our text is telling us, reminding us that Jesus is the glorious man through whom we are restored to a glory that God originally tended, intended for humanity. Our text calls us to two things, and I'm going to talk for the next few moments about the first of those this morning. The first thing our text calls us to is to confess our failure and our inability to achieve our destiny. And again, by destiny, I mean to experience and to reflect the glory of God in exercising dominion over all things. We must confess our ability. This is our inability and our failure to achieve our destiny. When we come to Scripture, when we read a psalm like Psalm 8, we understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying, that it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. When you read Psalm 8, Psalm 8 is actually talking about the world that is. That is the created world. But the writer of Hebrews says it's more than that. It's more than just this created world. It's that future world, that restored world, or as he talks about in in verse 4 of chapter 2, that great salvation that God has prepared for us. This was God's destiny for humankind, for humanity, that we would rule the world, this world, and the world to come. And he didn't give that to angels. He gave that to human beings that he created in his image. Adam and his descendants were made in the image and the likeness of God. And they were given dominion over the first world, a world in which they failed to rule well. But as you've heard me say before, I often imagine what would planet Earth look like if Adam and Eve made in the image of God, experiencing the glory of God, reflecting the glory of God in their marriage, in their family, in their home, in that garden, in all of the work that they were doing? What would the world look like as they brought children in the world and they were reflecting the glory of God and as they took that beauty of the garden and that worship atmosphere of the garden where God was visiting and they went out of the garden, began to this unformed and unfilled world that they were living in. If they would go and take the beauty and worship of the garden to all of planet earth, what a world we would be living in today. 
But that's not the world we're living in. And we are acutely aware of it. But when we think of God's original purpose, of God's destiny for humanity, we should live with a sense of of wonder and gratitude. He goes on to say it's, it's been testified somewhere. Well, he knew it was Psalm 8 where it was testified. It was testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? And if you look at that psalm carefully from a a poetic analysis, you realize that the psalm is actually built like a, what we call a chiasm. So it's arranged in a certain way. It begins with the majesty of God. It ends with the majesty of God. It begins with created things under God's rule. It ends with created things under man's rule. But at the very center of that psalm, and that's what a chiasm does, it brings you to the very center point. At the very center of that psalm is the position that God has given man in this wonderful creation. It brings our attention to this What is man that you're mindful of him? I imagine the psalmist, maybe he's sitting out there on a hillside, laying on his back on a clear, starry night, looking at the vastness of the universe, the beauty of the universe, feeling somewhat his own insignificance. But not only feeling his own insignificance, But the psalmist, like you, was a sinner. He would have been aware of his failures. He would have been aware of of the evil that he has thought and spoken and done in life. And as he lays there as this flawed, weak, broken human being, and he thinks about God's original purposes in, in creation, that God created man in his image and gave him dominion over the created world. As he thinks about that, he says, what is man? What is it about us? Of course, it's really not anything intrinsic to us. The question is really, what is it about you, God? About your mercy, your goodness, your patience, your love, your, your, your grace, that you have given man such, this, such a privileged, significant position on earth. Now when the writer of Hebrews takes that psalm, he doesn't take it to just refer to humanity, which was God's original design, but he realizes that humanity has failed, humanity is flawed, that that no one has achieved what God had designed for them in life. We do not rule, but we are ruled by our own passions. We're ruled by sin. We're ruled by desires. As Kent Kent Hughes says, Psalm 8 relates to the whole of mankind but it finds its focus preeminently in him who is uniquely the son of man 
and in whom alone the hurt of mankind is healed. It is only in union with Jesus Christ that man can become a man as God meant and made him to be. That you cannot, you will not be fully human as a man or a woman, achieving your created purpose in this world until you find yourself in Christ, the perfect man, or as I call him in this message, the glorious man. Of course, Psalm 8 is a reference to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We often call that the creation mandate. It's a text that sort of underlines the role of humanity in this world to be rulers, sub-regents, rulers under God, stewards of his creation. But again, we don't reflect that. We don't live that out. We don't rule the world we're in. We, We idolize it. We abuse it. Or at times we enjoy it without any thought of gratitude to God. The confession that we need to come to is that we have failed in our role as rulers. We have failed to be the men and the women that God intended us to be. But at the same time, we recognize that Jesus, the perfect son of man, the second Adam, he succeeds, he obeys, he is the glorious man. And it's as we begin to live under his rule, by his grace, we begin to taste what humanity was destined for. We begin to rule by the grace of God our own passions, our own hearts, as well as the world that we're living in. Again, we confess our failure. Instead of being filled with glory, often we are filled with shame. We may try to mask that shame. The shame is internal, and we try to mask it by external achievement, external glory and success. But every human being bears witness in his own soul to the shame of sin that he or she carries. We don't bear glory. Inside we bear brokenness. We we bear awareness that I've failed. I am not the man that I should be by the grace of God. I'm not the woman that God designed me to be. And if somehow, whether through a seared conscience or through being preoccupied with my own glory, that I don't experience that shame, if somehow I avoid that in life, death will remind me of my human failure to live out the calling that God has for me. Though the plan of God was that all things should be in subjection to man, the writer of Hebrews says, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. 
Now, I know some would argue that. Many modern men would would not see it that way. They would see their their great accomplishments in science and technology and how we conquer the earth and we conquer space. But all I need to do is walk out my front door at times or leave church on a Sunday morning to realize that man does not rule well. Because in God's world, it would not be a world of trash. One of the visitors who was here last week, uh, one of their children got home and, and uh, you know, they're, they're not from the city, they're visiting from outside the city. One of their children said, Dad, why is there so much trash everywhere? And uh, the dad told me, he said, I, I really didn't have an immediate answer. But the Bible answer would simply be this, there's trash on the street because there's trash in your heart. It is a sin problem, ultimately. We don't rule well. We don't rule the world. We don't even rule our own selves. We're losing battles within all the time in our own heart. But with all the accomplishments that men might achieve, as I said earlier, there is always that stark and cruel reminder that there is one thing that no human being can conquer, can bring into submission, and that is death. We die. Jesus Christ is the glorious man who has conquered death and who has all things subject to him. He is in control, and he's moving everything in his world to his eternal purpose. I like the way John Piper put it. He says it well. He says, whatever we have been able to conquer as human beings, we have not conquered death. It triumphs everywhere. It strikes babies and teenagers and young adults and midlifers and older people. It scoffs at our medicines and surgeries and diets and vitamins and exercise programs. When all is said and done, rocket scientists die, politicians die, doctors die, professors die, Nobel Prize winners die, the rich die, the poor die, the good die, the evil die, farmers die, bankers die, the carpenters die, the computer programmers die, and yes, preachers die. Death is not subject to man. And therefore, nothing is ultimately subject to us because it is only a matter of time till it will all be taken away from us. And what we thought we had mastered will be ripped out of our hands. Is that your life this morning? Living for human glory, a passing glory. Only to come to the end of your life and realize that it's gone. And to wake up in a place where there is no glory. 
only shame for eternity. Or by the grace of God, because of your union with Christ, the perfect man, who our text says, we see him crowned with glory and honor. Oh, we know that he suffered. We know that he was beaten. We know that he was brutalized. And we know that he hung on that cross and he died and gave up his last breath. But we see him crowned with glory and honor because he came from the grave. He rose from the dead. He ascended in heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's coming in glory someday. We see him crowned with glory and honor. And we sing, oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me. When by his grace I will look on his face, that will be glory. That'll be glory for me. The first step to experiencing and reflecting the glory of God is this first point. I have failed. And I cannot achieve the destiny that you created for me. We call that repentance. This is who I am. I'm not glorious. I need this glorious man, the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ. Come to him today. Let's pray together, shall we? And Father, if there is anyone listening here or anywhere in the world today or during the week who may hear this message, may your goodness lead us to repentance. Thank you for your great design for humanity. And forgive us, Father, for our failure our rebellion, to be the men and women that you want us to be. But thank you for Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the glorious man, who dies our death so that we can be delivered from the fear of death. We can truly be conquerors. We can truly have the victory. We can be the men and women you want us to be in Jesus Christ. Bring some to him today, we pray in his glorious name. Amen.